the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be together. As always, a lot to, a lot happening. Heading into the weekend, I hope everybody has a great weekend. I can't believe Christmas is one week away from this Sunday. Uh, it seems like this year has slid away. Um, it's the end of December, and so I hope you're getting in the uh, kinds of focused effort uh, for Christmas, including shopping, of course, but also I hope uh, some of the other things. We have a... Um, you may have seen the image, I'm sure you've seen the image, of Santa Claus uh, genuflecting in front of the baby Jesus in the image of the Jesus in a crib. Uh, there's a, a figurine, I think, that's kind of popular. But a, a couple of years ago, I noticed that there was on sale. One of the, you, you may see in, when there's yard displays, uh, those flat nativity scenes, usually white and you just sort of cutouts, right? So they're kind of they're kind of nice. I like them when you light them up uh, at night. They kind of are stark. Well, I discovered last year a an image uh, of that sort of flat uh, style with a little bit of color on it of Santa genuflecting in front of the uh, baby Jesus in a in a in a crib, and um, we got that. I think I bought it last year after Christmas. You know, there's always sales on Christmas stuff, and uh, so we put it up the other day. My daughter Helen and I. And lit it up. And it's great. It's great. So hope you're having a great Christmas getting ready. All right. Uh, what do you need to know? What you need to know today? Today's Daily Wink. First of all, go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the Daily Wink. Goes out every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 p. Uh, excuse me, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Also, uh, follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, and uh, at Ed Martin on all the other uh, feeds, Gab, Parlor, everywhere. I think I'm out there. And Facebook is Ed Martin Live. So uh, anything you do to share our stuff, spread it around. We want to try to build the community of people who are thinking clearly, understand what's going on. And, of course, uh, have uh, a, a commitment to the uh, conservative principles found in this Judeo-Christian country and our, our great uh, documents as well as our teaching. So, um, well, but today's wink, what you need to know, is back to an echo of follow the money. OK, I talked uh, a couple days ago about the cor- corruption scandal that's just exploding across the European Union. And it looks like the very top people like the not just the members of the European Parliament, but the select sort of ruling council within that. There's a group that's there's like seven or eight or nine vice presidents along with a president. Uh, and, and I don't even follow the structure well enough. But these were people that were politically connected and tied in enough that they got these cool titles as part of their promotion inside the EU. One of them is in jail. Her father's in jail. Her aides in jail. They're all in jail for looks like a corruption scandal. Now, even in Europe, they have um, uh, innocent until proven guilty in some form. So I should say, I don't know if they're uh, uh, guilty, but there's a lot of corruption allegations that have burst forward. We talked a little bit about it. Uh, there'll be more on that. I mean, it's really a huge scandal, and they're trying to cover it up now, um, just trying to move on, you know, just a couple of bad actors. But of course, as I said to you, you put tons and tons of money literally billions and billions and billions and billions of of euros in that case, and control over things like trade that impact money. Uh, And you're going to have some serious uh, chance of corruption. It looks like they have that. Well, where is that in America? Well, of course, it's in the federal government. And so in the last couple of days, you've seen news that they passed a a, a, uh, a patchwork, a Band-Aid budget 
so that there wouldn't be a closing of the government. They, the, the, the bureaucrats, uh, excuse me, the, the uh, oligarchs that run our country in the Senate and House, they hate the closing of the government because the media has made it so negative that it, it, they think it's bad for them and they don't want to be uh, confronted by their bureaucrat neighbors who work for the federal government. It's a bad thing. you know. Even if you close the government and said, well, we're going to pay our military and any emergency services, but still it's bad press. So they never want to do it. So they passed a Band-Aid to uh, continue to fund the government for five days or something. I don't know. I don't even know the exact number. And it's a massive amount of money. But that's because behind closed doors, the Democrats in the House and the Democrats and senators, both Republican senators as well as Democrats, uh, have been negotiating a massive, I think it's almost $2 trillion spending bill. Now, before you say, wow, that's a lot of money, $2 trillion, I'd like to point out that in the Build Back Better boondoggle that was passed by the Biden administration, passed by this, the Congress, um, there was $370-plus billion for a White House office for promoting green energy, right? So my point is, think about how much money that is in that office, $370-plus billion with a B, and we're talking about $1.9 trillion budget. It's a lot of money that was put aside in that Build Back Better boondoggle. My my, but back to my point, follow the money. So what the, the House leader announced the other day was, I think it will pass because we've got a lot of local projects. Now, those are what we called earmarks in the old days, meaning if I'm going to vote for your budget, I need that bridge in my district fixed up or I need $20 million for that nonprofit. There's a lot of things the government could fund if they wanted. They could fund a reading program. They could, oh, years ago. Senator Denton, the late Senator Denton, helped fund, put money in in Reagan, the Reagan era, for abstinence education. They could fund anything they want, and they will, through earmarks of tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, to get the votes, to buy the votes. So it's legalized bribery, right? That's It's not illegal to put something in a bill that someone wants. It's illegal to do uh, other... There's It could be illegal, but it's really not, I don't think. I mean, it should be, but but here's the problem. That's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The simple fact of the matter is the same reason the European Union is having a corruption scandal is the reason why you can guarantee that in and around the swamp, there is small C corruption and big C corruption, meaning corruption where they abide by the law, but the system isn't honorable and ethical and serious. It's small C corruption. It's probably not illegal when you have government contractors and all these people uh, whining and dining, and they, they are careful not to break the letter of the law. There's some capital C corruption. I think there just is. People get paid to do things, and I think that happens. And the reason why both of them happen is because the size and scope of government, the power of government over us. And, and by government, I mean the federal government. If you when you when you start a business, let's say, let's say you start a restaurant. I've never done this, but I've read enough about it and I'll just speculate. You have to do a local health board. You have to do a uh, sometimes a county health board. You have to have a license with the state for some in some form, maybe just for a corporation. And you have to pay your federal taxes. And there's some other federal roles, roles, I I would say, on, on food, I guess. But my point is you have multiple layers of bureaucracy, and you have to navigate them all. But the ones that you can successfully navigate, 
the best are the ones closest to home where you know who the county uh uh the the, the, the county district rep or the uh what do you call it? county council member and you can call them up and you can say hey joe or hey judy i have this problem or you know the health inspector for the county works for the guy who is the county executive who runs for office or is appointed for office by the county council whatever it is you have some accountability closer to you and you have less dominance by a far off bureaucrat, a far off power at the current in the current setup in the United States of America. The dominance of the federal government is stifling. We, the people, and it is stifling us because ninety nine point nine percent of us can't find a way to influence what's going on. We try. We have lobbying. We have uh, advocacy. We call our congressman, whatever. But the 99.9% that can't get out from under the power, the 0.1% are in on the racket. They're in on the racket. They're all making money. They're all influencing things. They they think they know. A lot of them think they know better than you on how you should live your life, whether it's uh, health, freedom, or uh, consumerism, or whatever, consumer choices. They think they know. They're, they're the elites, they think, and they know better than you. But mostly it's just corruption, small C and big C. And watching the budget go through and realizing that the power of the purse in the United States of America. So I've now set this up for you. I've laid this argument that the, the, the government is bigger and more intrusive than ever. It's dominating we the people, right? We Let's just concede that. If you'll, if you'll concede that to me in this argument. Now let's move on to something else. If that's true then the most important aspect of the federal government's role in dominating we the people is the is the purse is the money is the budget is what they get how they have the money that influences what's going on who they pay where the bureaucracies are where the spending is you know if, if they defunded the EPA they wouldn't be able to do as much to you now that's not that's not a solution by the way because the next guy will or gal will fund it but here's my point if you heard me start at the beginning i said the negotiations between the House budget folks, U.S. House, and the Senate, Republicans and Democrats. Because in the Senate, if one Republican or two or ten decides to stop something, it gets really hard. And if they all stick together, they can block the filibuster. You know, they can filibuster and they can block uh, uh, the override of the filibuster. So the senators have more power. And therefore, what? They're in on the racket. In the House, I, I read that one of the Republicans in the House, a Republican in the U.S. House, said, we haven't heard a word on this. No one's telling us anything. It's totally in the dark. They're going to make take it to the floor of the U.S. House, and they're going to say, vote on this. And we're not going to have heard it or seen it until the last minute. And the reason why they'll do that is because the Democrats just vote together as a block, like Republicans do when they have power, and they pass it. So only one party is in on the racket in the U.S. House. And in, in the Senate, it's both parties. Both parties are Vic. That's why you see both parties. You see senators. You say, I thought that guy was conservative and he's voting for this boondog. It's because they're already in on it. And here is what you need to know today. In January, the Republicans will take over the House. And when they have the power, they will have the power. When they have that power, they will have the power of the purse. They will have the ability to lead on the spending in the country. If you there's an old phrase, if you want to uh, get a man's attention, grab him by the wallet. I guess you could say woman, too. But it's a, it's a phrase that I remember in my grandfather's era. But whatever it is, however you get there, if you want to get a man's attention, grab him by the wallet. The U.S. House Republicans will have the power to try to 
change the direction of the country on spending. Now, do I think that they'll actually give up spending? Of course not. I don't have confidence in that. I want them to. I want them to dramatically cut it back. But more importantly than that, understanding that they have the power and understanding, therefore, that they don't have to negotiate with their fellow Democrat House members on cutting, say, funding Planned Parenthood or cutting, say, earmarks for stupid stuff. And they could actually lead in a way, and they could be transparent about it, that the American people go, oh, I guess the system system was corrupt before, small C and big C, and now I see it being transparent, and they're upfront about it. I like that. And here's the rub. That's what they should do. What you need to know is why that's important, why the House, winning the House, is a monstrous check on the growth of government, the power of government, the intrusion on we the people, if Republicans want to use it. And lastly about this is if they don't, not only will we suffer, but the people will see through it, right? And so the, 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 what you need to know is this is a test. It's a test of this moment. I'm not really confident because usually they lurch into the same old, same old. But that's the test. That's the moment. And if you want to follow the money, this is a chance. This is a chance to lay it out, to show a difference, to, to have a difference, to make a difference. Uh, in, in in ruling styles. I mean, we got to make an argument about reducing government and, and pulling it way back. I got all that. I'm for that. I'm not I'm not conceding that I like the spending, but I'm saying when you have power, you have to know how to use it and you have to understand it. And we, the people, have to understand the power that our folks, uh, our representatives have so we can demand it or hold them accountable when they don't do it. OK, that's what you need to know. Uh, we got to run. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's talk about, let's, I'd like to make an observation uh, with you uh, about what I'll call associations. I think that's the right word, associations. Um, and, um, and so let me, uh, let me set this up a little bit. Um, I was looking on Twitter uh, at a Twitter account uh, by the name of Dr. Anarchy, Dr. Anarchy. Dr. Anarchy um, is a guy, let's see if he's self, he has a sub stack. He's a self-described independent health uh, guy. He's a physician. He describes himself as a veteran. I don't know that much about him, but he's got a small following and he says not medical advice. He's from Florida, but Doc Anarchy is his name. And uh, what I like is he writes uh, sort of about stuff. Uh, and links to things. And so like one of the posts a few days ago was trust science. And he, he links to a, a study about how uh, we understand blood pressure and um, and how you should wonder about the studies, who's paying for studies. He does a lot of follow the money stuff. And that's, uh, I think, pretty uh, impressive or pretty um, uh, illustrative. So Doc Anarchy, I was looking at something and, and I noticed that he was writing about the AMA, the healthcare industry, the American Medical Association, which is uh, the American Medical Association would be the sort of largest doctor group that, you know, if you join the American Bar Association, that's lawyers, American Medical Association, that's uh, uh, medical doctors. There's things like the Association of Engineers, I think. Sometimes electrical engineers have their own association. And these things started as a way for people to uh, to uh, first, well, let me give you my opinion. Uh, one of the great uh, lessons of the printing press 
if you look back at the history, was about in the 50 years after the printing press became effective and, and used uh, widely or, or more widely. Uh, what happened in the f- first 50 years, a- after about 50 years, was there, there arose scientific journals. Because at that point in history, you're talking about like the 1500s, people couldn't travel to a conference in London with 500 different doctors to compare notes on how you treat uh, infection or something. And so, but they could send their uh, essays to each other or to a, a central hub who would then print them and then send the journals out. And so scientific journals became a very important uh, way for science uh, information to be shared. And that was true of other things too, but I just remember reading about that journals. So, so there's some instinct of, of sharing, getting together in an association to share knowledge. But over time, also, you shared resources, meaning you would um, sometimes uh, use the association to get insurance together, uh, to uh, to figure out how to do training. If you needed to do one person needed to train on X topic, if it, if it would cost you X. If you needed 20 people to train on X uh, uh, topic, it might cost you X just plus a little because you'd have one teaching module, one teacher, one a symposium, and you'd only have to add another seat and maybe, you know, another a meal or whatever it is. You get the point, I think. So, but these organizations, and so let me pull back one more time. One of the famous uh, things that's cited about America very frequently is that Alexander de Tocqueville, when he came to America uh, from France, and he wrote famous famous essays about uh, observing about what America uh, was like and why what the people were like, and he was very taken with the the uh, sort of uh, quality. And well, let me say it this way: he wrote about how the quality of the people. Uh, were so unique and how uh, interesting it was. He lived in the 1800s, early 1800s, um, and uh, and and I think he was, I think he was, um, I think he was in politics in some form. But he was became famous for uh, being a writer. And his his um, his uh, the book was called Democracy in America. That's the most famous. He was in, probably in his like early 30s when he traveled to America. And they wrote these essays. But one of the things he described. Besides like things about how, uh, you know, um, majority rule worked, uh, different things was he talked about associations. He said the American people were unique. They love to go to meetings together. They love to have gatherings together on topics, discussions. And he talked a lot about that. And you, that was a characteristic, he said, of America. Um, so there's something about that, too, I think, that Americans, maybe because we're not, there's not a monarchy here. We didn't have to wait and be in a certain class formally. You could just go if you were a, if you were um, uh, uh, me, you could go with someone that you just met to a meeting. You didn't have to worry about who was in which, uh, you know, um, uh, landed gentry or any of that stuff. We didn't have that as much. Um, so anyway, that's another part of associations. But the AMA has become over the years very liberal, very liberal, a- a- in my opinion. On a bunch of issues. And so and they'll come out on issues like on 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 marriage, the definition of marriage, on abortion, on contraception, on all kinds of things that have less to do with the practice of science, I think, and have more to do with the preference on what you want to do in healthcare. But that's not the interesting part of what Doc Anarchy says. I, I mean, I think that I think that there is a phrase that conservatives often say, which is over time, any organization will tend to slide to the left. And they, they point to examples of this. But so this is a way to critique, um, you know, think tanks and other organizations. Over time, they seem to get less uh, uh, sort of energetic in their position and they slide to the left. You can debate that, but that's kind of one of the things you say. And you, can, you there's examples out there and, and we could go into them, but that's not my point of this. And that's true 
of these associations like the AMA, the American Bar Association, used to be very, uh, I think, mainstream and talk about the law. In the 1950s, the American Bar Association was writing, uh, publishing reports about the threat of communism uh, in our uh, government and things. That was the extent of their political involvement. They weren't involved with all this other uh, social justice stuff. They, they, these things, they all get woke. Uh, uh, and that's another problem. But that's not what this guy, Doc Anarchy, is writing about. What he writes about is uh, the influence in these in the AMA of who's funding it, who's behind the funding. And, you know, what he says is that there was a period where, like, I think he gives an example, the American Heart Association that was supported by uh, Procter & Gamble. That came out in, like, the 1950s or so, and that became a big scandal. Like, Procter & Gamble was basically underwriting the American Heart Association, which was taking positions that were uh, in favor of of Procter & Gamble, I think, on, on either butter or maybe it was margarine or something, something like that. And that was a scandal at the time. Well, his point is that if you look closely at these entities, you will find out that some of the biggest influencers are big pharma, big ag, big money. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm getting myself caught up in talking about big all the time. You probably hear me all the time with the narrative machine. But but I do think that this is one that's really worth understanding, that the the power of the money behind, because you get the AMA, uh, for example, American Medical Association, it's a big entity, lots of employees. They add employees, they add by a building, they have all these things. You have to fund You have to fund that. You have to keep paying the bills. And it becomes part of the necessity, and you got to go find the money. And you can only charge dues to each doctor of a certain amount. you got to go find the money. And so it's really interesting. And I think just as we have seen that some of the institutions that we were holding so highly in our hearts and minds, the CDC, internationally the world health organization people are well these people are do-gooders they may be spending more money than i would or i wish it was a you know not so much international stuff but but they're do-gooders then you start looking and you say i'm not sure i'm not sure they're do-gooders they may think they're do-gooders but they look like they're uh running a racket for some businesses and for some people that are in charge of the businesses and uh, and that have a preference people that have a preference in their businesses and follow the money as a filter, works really well. American Academy of Pediatrics, Doc Anarchy refers to, and he says, uh, you know, they they, they have gender affirming care. They their their um their position is that they're you know for that and they're, they're that somehow. And then he looks in and he says that uh, you know Abbott and Mead Johnson uh, are their biggest supporters. What does that mean? Again, it's not so much. You know, for sure, you can't point to it. This is the difference between small C corruption and big C corruption. Big C corruption is where somebody breaks the law. But small C corruption is where somebody's breaking the ethics and, and morals and the, and the way you do it. Oh, I'll give another example. It used to be that people that were lawyers, and I'm a lawyer, used to, um, you know, you would represent your client. You'd say, well, sometimes you represent a client who does something wrong, especially in criminal cases, and you have to represent them with a vigorous defense, but you can't lie about it. You can't go up and say, you know, if you know something, you can't say, um, you know, uh, uh, you can't, well, you can't lie. The lawyer's got to be a member of the bar, has to be a, a, an officer of the court. And do their best to tell the truth about what's going on, not mislead. And in a criminal case, that's different because the, the, the criminal has the right to not self-incriminate. So there's a there's a thing where you don't you, you don't have to tell the truth by walking up and saying, well, my guy did kill somebody, but I'm, I'm going to tell you how he didn't. I mean, sometimes they do that with insanity defense. But on the civil side, we have created an incentive for thousands and thousands of lawyers to basically lie for a living to try to get money out of the other side. It's a racket. 
it's a racket. And 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 I was talking to a lawyer, a longtime lawyer, he's in his early seventies. He said it's changed just dramatically in the last twenty five years. It just shifted so much. My so follow the money, and particularly when you look at these uh, associations. The uh, you know the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is easy. He talks about that. That's that's a little bit more transparent. But but it's uh, you know in terms of their priorities and that they look. But these ones are like American Association of Clinical Endocrinology, and they they actually are funded by the people who make the diabetes medications. So the people who have an interest in taking care of people who have diabetes and the fight against diabetes that's their physician's job. The American Association of Clinical Endocrinology. That's what they do. They're funded by the people who make the diabetes medication. So you, I guess, guess what the preference of the physicians is to treat diabetes? Not, not no medicine. Now, I'm not judging it. I don't know for sure, right? There's times where you need medicine. But I, a lot of people I know tell me diabetes is affected almost, you know, more than, well, no, I shouldn't say anything about it, a lot by diet and obesity. And we know that. But if you can be obese and take your medicine and be okay maybe that's what they that's okay that's good enough as opposed to saying to somebody you can't be obese or you're going to kill yourself and i know i know people will say like well it's not as easy in a weight loss and all that i'm saying that that, that the preference is just medicate high blood pressure same thing you, you get a high blood pressure for a minute they put you on medicine and it looks like the studies are saying maybe you don't need that maybe it doesn't work as well Anyway, it's a, it's a cool thread, uh, and I'll put it up on uh, I'll put it up on social media. But what I want to point to is, as we've had this sort of um, shift in what I call distrust and verify, you know, institutions that have been diminished for their most times by their own uh, mistakes. I'd say, think like the FBI and others, and 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 serious you know transgressions. Other ones like an association. You say to yourself, well, did you just miss, did you lose your focus and end up small C corrupted? Well, it, it seems like there's more of that than we might wish. So uh, take a look at this thing and, and it's something to think about. All right, uh, we will take a break. We'll be right back. I, I, I wanted to get that off my chest. I could talk all day, by the way, about the American Bar Association, but I won't do that now. We'll talk another time. All right, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. This is the Pro-America Report. I'm Ryan Height, stepping into the booth again for Ed Martin, and I just wanted to come and spend uh, just a couple of minutes. I know that Ed has been uh, taking us on a couple of uh, different pieces of the journey here. We've been talking a lot about uh, kind of a common theme today, and I know that he's coming back here uh, for the final segment. He has something that he really would like to share. I know the topic, but I don't really want to step in on it, but I I think there is something that I would like to put before you um, as we look at the cultural and political landscape of America today. There is new set of factions that are at war with each other, that are at odds with each other, because we've always had this traditional, you know, at least in, in our recent lifetimes, the liberals versus the conservatives, you know, big government, uh, big government versus limited government, more taxes versus less taxes, uh, you know, pro-life, pro-marriage versus um, progressive uh, values moving forward, changing the definition of marriage, uh, calling, you know, abortion, health care rights and what, whatever it is. These traditional positions that have been staked out are really kind of changing and shifting. And the reason it is, it's not because, you know, we're changing our values or shifting. What's happening, though, is the left is showing themselves for who they really are. 
you know, Ed just took us through this with uh, the first and the second segment here talking about the, uh, you know, congressional uh, games that are being played. The ho- the new uh, house coming in is going to have to use the power of the purse. We talked about it in segment two, the giant, uh, the big pharma healthcare is controlling everything from regulation all the way down to actual, you know, health decisions and the medical side of it. Um, there's just this massive accumulation of power. To, to the very few behind the scenes, there's no transparency. It's, it's this huge centralization that's going on. As the left has moved forward, they've really revealed their hand. They've always claimed to be liberal, to be liberating, progressing, moving forward. They've always made this big deal of, of gathering marginalized groups together and kind of putting them forward, putting them uh, together in the in the foreground. These are the these are those who we need to hold up as as uh, important and, and individual. And these are the people that are oppressed that we need to take care of. But really, it's not about that. The left is about power. The left is about state control, authority. Uh, it, it's really, I mean, it's, it's Marxist, ultimately is what it is. It's this materialistic worldview where all there is is to accumulate power and treat people as almost material possessions or commodities. We needed your vote, so we have put you front and center, but now we don't need the feminists. We don't need the traditional you know, homosexual crowd because we've moved on to this new transgender thing or we've moved on to this other version. So if the old school now, old school liberal feminists or, or um, you know, homosexual activists come out and say, hey, wait a minute, what about us? They meet this vilification. Uh, they're canceled by their own people. Well... It's because their own people aren't exactly liberal, are they? They're not for liberty. They're not even for individual autonomy and liberating. What they're for is the centralization and accumulation of power to themselves. They are authoritarians. And the real battle isn't liberal versus conservative. I think the real battle that's shaping up in America today is authoritarian versus freedom. I think that's what we're seeing. I think as we look around the field and realize some of the folks who are saying the same things as us, it's very unlikely allies. uh, We have a big battle on our hands to stop uh, this group of people who would seek to gain all power to themselves and silence any dissent, any opposition. That absolutely cannot happen. And I got to tell you, I think that this is a huge shift that is happening in America that we're starting to see. Put that in front of you as we go into this next segment, as Ed's going to talk a little bit about um, one more topic. There's this common theme that weaves through uh, all of these segments today. Keep that in mind, this shift of uh, liberal uh, versus conservative to the new battle of authoritarian versus freedom. I think this is a big deal. I think it's something that matters uh, that we understand. So I just wanted to vocalize that, put in those uh, words, those definitions, go look it up, go start to do your own research, start to put some things together. And uh, we'll be right back here on the Pro-America Report. Ed's going to come back and wrap us up. Uh, See you in a minute. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. We've all heard about the greedy rich people trope. This caricature dates to Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol and even earlier. We're trained to believe that rich people are always greedy and that, by extension, those that promote the free market principle of capitalism are enabling greed. During this special Christmas season, let's see how these facts measure up to this common trope. According to the National Center for Charitable Statistics, neither the highest income brackets nor the lowest income brackets are the biggest scrooges. Those earning $10 million per year or more give the greatest percentage of their income to charity at an average of 9.3%. 
As a percentage, those making under $50,000 per year are the next most generous group, giving an average of 8.4% of their income. Shockingly, it's actually the middle class that is the least charitable group of all. Yet you'd have a hard time trying to find a politician who will criticize the middle class. Capitalism is not the opposite of generosity. In fact, capitalism requires generosity to be effective. When we empower families to control their own finances, we expect them to choose to invest in their communities of their own free will, not by force through their tax dollars. Through personal generosity, benefactors can create meaningful connections with the people served by their contributions. When was the last time you got that kind of connection out of handing a chunk of your paycheck to the IRS? Obviously, the voluntary generosity of individual families is more powerful and more impactful than a welfare state. The free market empowers people regardless of their life circumstances or income level. At the end of the day, the important thing is not what economic class you occupy, but that you actually give. Charitable contributions aren't just for the wealthy or the poor. They are for all of us. As Charles Dickens so expertly pointed out, generosity is good for others, good for the community, and good for the soul. Don't be a Scrooge this Christmas season. Do what any true proponent of free market capitalism would do and give generously. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For the U.S. economy to flourish, free enterprise needs to be rewarded. Competition and capitalism need to be encouraged. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find alerts and strategies for strengthening our economy and standing against socialism. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back, Ed Martin, here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me finish um, with a controversial statement and see uh, what happens to me. I don't know if I can get canceled for this, but I don't think I can. I'll say it the right way, I think. But I worked for years for the late Phyllis Schlafly, who was often described uh, by the feminists as anti-feminist, but who was really uh, just a conservative pro-family, pro-life lady, had a vision of how she could live her life uh, in a um, in America. Um, and it included being in a marriage to her husband and having a family and all these things. But um, and so it, it, it the the the, um, the the descriptors break down pretty quickly. Um, but the feminists wanted desperately to make it so that you were, you were, you had to be a feminist. You had to, if you're a serious woman, you had to be a feminist, right? This was, if you weren't serious about yourself, you were not a feminist. That's sort of how they position it. Again, I'm not, I, what do I know? I'm not, I'm not a woman, except I can describe stuff. Actually, I'm supposed to say that, but of course I do know. And so the feminist movement was really, uh, really silly fast. It got silly fast. I mean, some of the people in it, some of the women were very impressive, bright people. Uh, talented people some were talented in lots of different ways performance art and all the rest but but here's the thing um jk rowling who is considered one of the you know most important writers in the sense that she writes well and writes incredibly uh attractive stories for people who want to read it and has sold more books than anybody ever i think except for things like the bible right i mean she's just extraordinarily prolific prolific is the word and um she is not, I don't think, conservative in lots of ways on certain issues to say that. But she's actually um, extraordinary on the questions around feminism. And she did an interview, or oh, let me say it better. She um, 
did an interview which uh, uh, was written up by a woman named Suzanne Moore, who is a journalist uh, of some kind. I'm not really sure if she's a full-time journalist in in a business or what she's in, but um, she wrote about um, uh, uh, interviewing J.K. Rowling. And J.K. Rowling has basically said that the feminist movement has been set back by this transgender stuff. And so it's she's gotten, gotten a huge amount of criticism, a huge amount. J.K. Rowling for coming out and saying that um, she's basically um, been, you know, absolutely vilified uh, by the left, been attacked, everything. And so much so that there was a sort of a scandal um, about the attacks on her, it, which is a surprise. Usually you get away with that. You, you know, you go woke and it's kind of applauded. So anyway, in this interview, one of the things she said, uh, J.K. Rowling just talked about feminism and she calls she relates to herself as a feminism feminist, she says. But she says, we've gone backwards. We've gone backwards. I think that's true in America. This is where I'm getting trouble because I'm not supposed to commentate on this, uh, I suppose. I think that's true in America. The people that wanted to empower women ended up sort of marginalizing a lot of the women uh, and their goals. So in, in the in the interest of saying that the canonical position must be that you look like a feminist which means you have certain understandings of uh, of uh, of policy positions abortion for example but more importantly how you fit into society there's a canonical way a real woman should do this and that has been a disservice to women it's i'm reminded it's not it's imperfect and i'm sure i'll be criticized if someone when somebody's listening media matters or somebody pick it up but i'm reminded of a speech that uh, 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 Chief Justice Rehnquist, I think he gave in the 80s. But the gist of it was the Soviet system of lawyering, of justice, was at a certain point early in your career, even in your training, you were trained to be either a kind of lawyer, a practitioner, or a, a magistrate, a bureaucrat. And you got pushed into into fields. You weren't sort of in this. The system didn't have uh, movement within it. There weren't a lot of choices. One of the criticisms of the of many of the efforts uh, in education in the last 30 or 40 years, including Common Core, uh, but also uh, other uh, aspects, is that it tries to decide what you're going to be. You know, at a certain point, we'll do a test. We'll see what your aptitude is and we'll tell you you should be a uh, you should work on an assembly line. You should be a teacher. You should be a, a doctor. And that's control, command control by the government. That happens in communist places. China is pretty good at that. But the feminists did the same thing, not realizing it. They said that you have to be like this in order to succeed. And it didn't work for a lot of people, a lot of women. And a lot of women are struggling with, uh, and I've said this too, in a different way than men, with the balance. I don't think it's the same for a father and a mother, their relationship with their kids, for example. It's just a different categorical relationship. You can say, oh, everybody's different, all that I understand. But I'm saying that there is a difference between a mother having observed it and lived it now as a father, a father to his children and a mother to her children. I can only observe the mother because I've only seen my wife up close and my own mother and others. But I can tell you as a father, I, I think about my kids. I, I, I've looked at this a lot different than my wife. But my wife, who's a doctor, is under a lot of the uh, modern feminist impressions and she's not a feminist in the way of a lot of the positions, but to to be a she's a doctor. She went to the training. She's smarter than me, and she's really. But she relates to the kids differently. She she has a different kind of um, feeling uh, of responsibility towards them. She worries about them differently. The best example I can give, it's imperfect, uh, is when, when I leave my kids, I leave them behind. I don't even think about them in terms of like I go to work. 
My wife will say she never stops thinking. She never, it's never out of her head. It's in her head in a different way. And my point is that's not, it's my example. It's not yours. It's maybe, maybe it's not universal. I think it's more universal than not, but maybe it's not. But the feminists in America and the West, I agree with JK Rowling. They've gone backwards. They've become, first of all, this canonical notion of what you have to be to feminist. And then somehow that part, part of that is that you have to embrace every one of these woke moments to the diminishment of women and others. I, I, I'm not sure that at the end of the day, the all of the things that put you in divisions and spots that sort of divide you up and try to go canonical on you aren't a disservice. But as I say that, I think to myself, I, I don't know, I, the, the canonical version of a woman to me is someone who is, or let's, let's say a man, a, a canonical, you know, the one that what, what you should be, if you can, is a husband and father. If you can, not everybody can, but that's the sort of, ver- and so anyway, I, I think this is a really interesting topic, feminism, and uh, what comes next in terms of that movement. So good for J.K. Rowling for having the courage. And by the way, she has the money. You know, she's got enough money that nobody can really hurt her. Well, at one point when they were threatening her, and I, when I when I said hurt her, I meant you know damage her career or her or income. When I, I went during the scandal in the last year and a half or two years, she has a big uh, home in I think Scotland, and uh, they showed up at the uh, foot of the driveway to protest. Unfortunately for them, the protesters, and they, they, she's got 300 acres or something, and she, she comments, she said, you know, we've got a, a gate down there, and, and they can't get all the way up to the house, and she sort of was glib about it, wonderfully uh, nonplussed, I thought, and uh, so she can't be, she, she, she's, you know, she has um, enough security in her life, she can say what she wants, it's not true of everybody else which is a different challenge. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Thank you for listening. We will be back. Uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll talk to you soon. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.